While this podcast may discuss medical issues and at times answer or discuss listeners' questions, this podcast is not offering any individual medical advice nor meant to substitute for individualized professional medical treatment or advice. So please remember that all content is for informational purposes only. And please consult with your own healthcare provider for your own issues and diagnosis. If you think you may have a medical emergency, do the right thing and call your doctor or go to a local emergency room or call 911 immediately. Never delay seeking individualized help for a problem based on something discussed here. Take care of yourself. You're worth it. Boy, that opening uh, makes me miss people. Uh, I'm Brad. Welcome to uh, No Prisoners. This is day 14,087 of my quarantine. And, uh, oh, I wish you could see my back hair right now. It's, uh, oh, what a brutal time, huh? Uh, Glad you're with us. This is uh, uh, an important episode for me. Uh, It's about therapy. And uh, I have a PhD in therapy, not as a, a clinician, but as a patient. Actually, I'm, I'm presently in group therapy alone. That's how fucked up I am. Um, glad you're joining us, all 11 of you. And oh, I want to introduce uh, uh, Travis Townsend. He is our producer. He created that opening. He plays the harmonica. How you doing, brother? Yes, sir. I'm good. I'm good, man. You know, that harmonica is in the key yeah. of G, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, oh, well, that isn't what we wanted. You're, okay. you're, oh, yeah. we'll do it over. <laughs> you're fired. Uh, and I love the background. How are you? Uh, how are you dealing with prison? Is everything okay? Well, you know, one day at a time. It's always just, yeah, you just watch your back and do, do what you're told. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing with the quarantine? You know, man, there are some struggles here and there, but um, I've got a good community. We stay connected through the the web, and and um, you know, the you just gotta you just gotta try to stay connected as much as possible, even though you can't be around other people. Yeah, which, which but, times is kind of good, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, very overrated, don't you when, think? When it first happened, and I had to quarantine, uh, my boss sent me home from work. That was the the best six weeks of my life. I'll tell you, I got so much done. I watched uh, so many clouds float by, and it's been since I was a little kid that I was able to to really just kind of settle in to life like that. So it was actually very good. Right, and now you're probably uh, you're, you're probably on a rampage. Yeah, back on the rampage. Yep, I'm back in traffic, yeah. uh, flipping people off and cursing at people and all that stuff. You know, nice. waving the fist. Nice. Yeah, back back to it. normal. Hey, listen, thanks for doing this with me. I know we've talked about this for a while. Uh, you and I are both, uh, we're, we're not strangers to mental issues. And um, I'm glad you're taking this journey with me. Uh, I am too, Brad. I, I thank you, brother. My love to the family. Um, I Believe it or not, I started in therapy at the ripe young age of, um, well, actually uh, in vitro. Um, my mother was manipulating me as a fetus and, uh, no, I started therapy in, uh, hold on in 1970. Uh, I was 10 years old. Um, I had a lot of shit going on. My parents divorced when I was seven. It was kind of a, um, kind of a volatile divorce. And my dad, who really was, uh, kind of my savior, as well as this gentleman you're about to, uh, uh, meet, my dad was a very hip father in 1970. He was, uh, he was a liberal guy, uh, had some conservative views when it came to uh, business and the economy, but he was really liberal and uh, very open, and he was in therapy uh, himself. Um, 
and uh, he knew I was struggling. And uh, he said, I think you really should go speak to someone. And um, I figured it would be an exorcist. But um, I was lucky enough to find a gentleman who pretty much saved my life uh, uh, as a a kid, as a teenager, uh, as an adolescent. Um, And I used to go see Nathan every Tuesday at 10 a.m., I believe, um, my memory isn't great, but it was a morning um, session. And my mom, who took me most of the time, and my mom, who was suffered from manic depression, never could get out of bed before one in the afternoon. So that she would even be able to get to my school at 9.30 in the morning was, was a feat in itself. But um, I'm grateful that she was able to do that. And... Um, I remember I was worried about having to get a shot. Anytime there was a medical uh, uh, scenario in my life, my first thing is like, I'm not going to have to get a shot, right? I'm not going to have to get a shot. And my mom would say, what are you worried about? It's just one in the tushy. Uh, But of course, there were no shots when I would go see uh, Nathan. And I remember I was bullied a lot as a kid. When I was 10 years old, I had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of guilt. I had a lot of worry. I had different ticks. I had an eye tick. I had a, a mouth tick. I had a shoulder tick. Every time someone looked at me, they thought I was trying to get him to steal third. You know, I was like, all right, come on, hey, better, better. See, that's my, that's my, um, my humor uh, coming out of my pain. And um, I remember my schoolmates going, why do you leave every Tuesday at 9.30? Where are you going? And I didn't know what to say, so I would always say, "Uh, it's a dentist appointment. And I remember one of the kids was like, well, how many cavities do you have? Why do you got to go every week? And um, I I punched him in the face. No, no, not really. I I wasn't like that. Um, So... Nathan Horwitz, he, uh, we, we really, to this day, we have a relationship that I am so incredibly grateful for. Now, in the past 50 years, there are times where we've lost contact or I would move on or do something else or he would change his number when he knew I was calling. Um, but we have him today. And uh, it was, uh, I'm so honored and flattered and just love I get to say hello to this man. So let's bring in my pal, uh, my savior from the 70s, uh, Mr. Nathan Horwitz. Brad, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, gosh. Uh, and I, you as well. How are you I'm, re- I'm, uh, I'm, Creeping along, Brad. It's uh, it's not easy to be ninety-two, uh, but it's uh, I, I lead a pretty good life, all in all. You I like- remember those early days with you. Uh, I taught you how to steal oranges. As a matter of fact, that that <laughs> that is one of my favorite stories. It's in my book that no one bought. But tell tell us, Nathan. How it came about, because we would go on walks. You wanted to always get me out of the office so I would be comfortable. Tell them how that came about when you taught me how to steal. Well, Brad and I, when he came to the office, and most kids of that age are uncomfortable seeing a therapist, certainly for the very first few sessions. So I said to Brad, let's just go out for a walk. And uh, we went out of the office and... uh, It was in Encino, we crossed Ventura Boulevard, and there, right after, on the next block, you're in a bunch of very middle-class, upper-class homes, and half of those homes had orange trees growing in them. Well, I got up early, unlike Brad's mother, and uh, (laughs) by, by... that time, by you know, the time we were walking around, I was getting a little hungry, wanted a snack. And I said to Brad, uh, go in and grab one of those oranges off the tree in that guy's backyard. <laughs> and Brad was frightened. He said, no, I, I don't want to do it. You go in and get it. I said, 
Brad, if I go in and take an orange, they'll think I'm going to rob the house. You know, I'm, it, it, you can go in as a kid and they'll know you're just going to take an orange, but take two of them, one for you and one for me. <laughs> so so I, I talked him into doing that. He, with a, he had a lot of trepidation in doing it. And uh, we would uh, sit down, I forget if it was on the curb or on a bench somewhere, and we would both eat our oranges. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Actually, my history of being your therapist, Brad, uh, revolves around food. I can, I can think of all the different uh, the bagels. food episodes we went through. We always, I brought you bagels, remember? Or you would have bagels and cream cheese and we would eat them in that little, uh, in your office or that little back room, that little kitchen or something, right? Yes, it was uh, when when the orange season was over, we started with with bagel and cream cheese. Oh, man. uh, And uh, then you started to bring me bagel and uh, then you uh, graduated became a successful comedian, actor, etc. Alcoholic, and we, don't forget alcoholic, <laughs> drug addict. <laughs> well, I never knew about those things. You know, yeah. clients, kids, clients, adults are entitled to privacy. So it didn't matter that I didn't know about that incidentally. And you don't have to go into every detail every private detail of someone's life that were in their head. They don't want to reveal some things that they're afraid of or ashamed of or coping with, struggling with. So uh, I I didn't uh, really know about that until much later. Right. It was about, Uh it was much later. And I started seeing you again in my late twenties, early thirties. Do you remember? Yes. Yes. And we just started to get into that. And um, I remember, um, and to this day, I still struggle um, uh, sometimes with a spending problem. And I don't know, did you get the car I sent you last week? <laughs> I sent you, a, you'll, you'll love it. It comes with a chauffeur and a, and a, and a tow truck. But I yeah, remember when I won Star Search, I sent like, this is crazy. And I was seeing you around this time. This is 1984. I sent like 30 people very um, very nice gift baskets, thanking them for helping me in my career. And you went, why do you do that? And I said, well, I just, I just feel, you know, grateful. And, and he said, it's not going to change how people feel about you. They're with you or they're not. And I went, wow, okay, that's interesting. Um, but of course, you took your gift basket without any, uh, any, any recourse at all. You were, but but it was, I, I've always thought of that. And it's true because all these years later, the people that really stood by me and are still with me uh, didn't even get a gift basket. And uh, that was one of the many jewels and nuggets you gave me about dealing with myself and my wanting to be accepted and 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 loved like we all do, I guess. Was that supposed to be a gift basket, Brad? I thought it was two oranges. That's all I got. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was a watch in one of the oranges. There was a, there was a new Rolex uh, for you. But... Um, what do you remember? And, and be really, really honest, because uh, I want people to to see this and go, oh, why aren't there more therapists like Nate? But you just broke up. Can you repeat that? I said, I want people to 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 see this and think, oh, why aren't there more therapists like Nathan? Because you are a rare breed. Of course, I'm biased. But what would you say is the number one misconception when parents are thinking about having a child go to therapy. What is your take on that? I I don't know what the number one misconception of parents is. You know, in the old days, certainly people thought that if you saw a therapist, you were kind of crazy. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, it was a, a shameful kind of thing. 
Yes. When I first became a therapist and moved into a suite with other therapists, they built, they, they designed the suite so people would come in one door from the waiting room yeah. and leave out of a secret back door so yes. no one would see that they were in therapy. I never did that. I mean, you always went in the front door and came out the back door, etc. Yes, but, uh, it was humiliating. <laughs> it was humiliating for you, but think of me, Brad, having to see you. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so true. And I remember, especially when you're 10, and, and I told nobody in my life I was going to a therapist. And um, it, it's so it's so important for people. You know, it's like I always talk about people, they'll go to the gym. They'll, you were an avid cyclist. I remember you were always yes. in great shape. You always took care of yourself. I mean, look at you at 92. It's You got it all going on. It's unbelievable. And people take care of themselves. They forget to take care of their head. You know, therapy should be mandatory in life. It should be part of school because we all have stuff, you know, we're dealing with. And I remember my dad wanted me to get help so much. And financially, when I started going to you, he was struggling he was paying for two alimonies. He was in sales his whole life. He worked seven days a week, though he saw me every weekend. Uh, uh, he always made sure he was there for me. And he had trouble paying you. And you felt it was so important I continued going that you told my dad, don't worry about it. Pay me when you have it. And... When my dad told me that story, he welled up in his eyes and he said, no one has really ever treated me like that. My dad had a very, very abusive childhood. He was beaten by his father and 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 uh, it's amazing. He never lifted a hand to me. So that can sometimes skip a generation as we know and someone can learn <laughs> from it or you can repeat it. Thank God, uh, thank God it, it skipped. But I never forget your generosity to him so I could stay uh, seeing you. Well, he he was a nice man, and with all his problems, he yeah. was a very nice man. Yes, he and was. I I still remember he he one of his many businesses yes. was uh, a hearing aid place. He That's was right. A, spe- a specialist in hearing, yes. and I remember his phrase about you can make them hear, but you can't make them listen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought that was a great, uh, a great saying, and, and important for a therapist to know. What do you remember? And be totally candid, okay? You you see me. How many times do you think you saw the parents? I know mom was involved sporadically. What do you remember about them? Oh, I, you know, your parents were with all their problems, Brad. They were basically doing their best for you. Yeah. Uh, you were loved by both of them. Yes. Uh, you grew up in uh, with a, only a slightly chaotic home. You had all the stability of, uh, of, of uh, family and uh, staying in the same place for most of your life or yeah. a good part of it anyway. Yeah. Uh, so you had a lot of strengths to build on. Yeah. Do, do you know why... I- I, yeah, go ahead. I I don't and, and didn't want to and don't want to now get into any of the specific issues that uh, we dealt with or I dealt with or they dealt with uh, in therapy because people are entitled to privacy. They're entitled to privacy even from their therapist. We all have little things in our heads, in our minds, in our Sometimes uh, unconscious, we don't want to reveal, and yeah. uh, and and it's not fair for a therapist to pry into that when the client doesn't want them to. So I re- I respect that. As a matter of fact, the kids are fun to work with. I have I've had a lot of experience working with kids, and uh, sometimes you tell kids who can't express themselves as easily as adults, you tell them what they're feeling or thinking. So I I saw this kid as her her mother brought her to the office. She was having trouble in school. 
So I talked to the mother and the kid together in the office for a while. And then I asked the mother to uh, go back out in the waiting room and I would talk to her daughter for a while alone. And she did that. And uh, the kid is looking at me really very frightened. And I said, uh, oh, I know how uncomfortable you are. You're uh, really upset that I asked your mother to go back in the waiting room and left you alone with me here. And you don't know what to talk about. And you don't know what I'm going to say. You don't know, you know, anything that's going to happen that you've never been alone in this room. You don't know me. And she looked at me and she said, can you read my mind? Oh, (laughs) Oh. isn't that amazing? It was just, it was, she was such a nice kid to be that open and, uh, and, and frank about it. Okay, well, let's talk about her problems, since you won't talk about mine. <laughs> what was her story? Anyway, uh, I remember... she, was, she was a fun kid to work with. Uh, was she fun? She was, having, yeah, she you... was having, pardon me? Did you teach her how to steal? Uh, no, I, I didn't. She, uh, she, I, I can't remember why. That's my <laughs> usual technique, but I, I didn't with her. I'll tell you how brilliant, I'll tell you how brilliant you are um because there's one thing about having good uh, memories of of a therapist that really helped you in your life but when you're 10 or 11 or 12 and most of my memory is shot for obvious reasons but when i can remember things i was having difficulty expressing myself to my parents telling them how i felt my biggest problem was in therapy, because I suffered from such guilt, because as much as my mom tried, she, bless her heart, was a guilt machine. And I remember... Like, like most Jewish mothers. Like most, well, like most Jewish mothers indeed, indeed. But I'll tell you what was interesting. My mom was suffering from bulimia. It, 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 and me and my two brothers, we didn't know what that was. And every time we would have dinner, she would create some type of tumul, which is Yiddish for, you know, a problem or, or distress. And then she would have an excuse to go throw up in her bathroom. And we would hear her get sick. And she would do it after she ate. And we were always thought to believe it was because some type of chaos or, 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 or um, you know, some, some type of incident that would happen at dinner that would create her to be sick. When it was really just, unfortunately, the poor gal suffered from bulimia. So... There were things like that, which for a child, you know, it's pretty damaging stuff. You know, Jewish mothers always go, you're killing me, you're killing me. You know, that's always, that's always a thing. So it, it, I know it goes hand in hand, but there were, there were things that were, you know, a little more intense. But I remember I said, boy, you know, you, you said to me, and I was, I think at this point, probably 11, maybe I'd seen you for a year, you said, why don't you tell your parents how you feel? And I said, well, I never want them to think I don't love them. And you said to me, they know you love them. It's got nothing to do with you loving them. And you said, now, I want you to go into the office across the hall, and I'm going to call you on that phone, and I'm going to be your dad. And I want you to tell me something that you've been wanting to tell your dad for some time that's hurting you. Do you remember that? Yes. I, well, I, I didn't until you you just brought it up. And I, I remember it clearly now. Now, is that something? Because that's so brilliant. Because you created this safe haven. You were one of the few safe places in my life when I really needed one. My father was one too. But when you're young, you always think your parents tell you what you want to hear. And I remember that that exercise we did together. And then I came out of that room and I looked at you and I went, I feel so much better. 
I said, how long, Nathan, until I get well? <laughs> and do you remember what you said to me? I, I can't remember. I probably lied and said it was under 30 years. <laughs> That's what I love. I think I got my humor from you. I probably owe you a lot more than a cheap podcast. I, I said, when will I get well? And you went, you're not sick. Why would you think you need to get well? And, you know, it's those little nuggets that I was able to put in my uh, in my head, in my pocket, wherever, and um, that really kept me going on those on those rougher uh, rougher uh, 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 times, you know. And I'm well, so- go ahead. You know, because your parents were, you know, quite quite decent people, really, with all their problems. Sure, as I've said, absolutely. Uh, I didn't bad rap them. I didn't. Uh, you know, tell them uh, that uh, your mother's, uh, you know, got these. I didn't go into the details about your mother's problems, et cetera. But with some clients, I did. I had a client once who was, you know, an older adolescent. And uh, she was having such problems in school, in her relationships all over the place. And uh, she, her, her parents saw a general practitioner. As a matter of fact, uh, the doctor they saw, and she saw too, since she was now into late adolescence, uh, she saw the same doctor. And he saw that she had problems and was really close to non-functioning. And uh, he referred her to me. And within two sessions, I mean, I knew her problem after the first session. I saw her parents uh, with her the first time. and But after uh, that one session with her parents, and certainly two with her, I really said to her, don't listen to your parents anymore. I said, they're crazy. And you have a lot of good sense. You have a lot of good judgment. Use your own good judgment and good sense and do not listen to them. Well, that really hit home with this lady. She she was uh, she was strong. She was a, a strong adolescent who was being led by down the wrong path by her parents, who were really both psychotic and and destructive in their relationship with her. This is well, in, this is incredible. Good well, for you. She, I saw her four times. She turned her life around saw that uh, she was doing better not listening to her parents. Her doctor thought that I was the best therapist in the world, that I cured her in only four sessions. You are. And And I would have done much better if you told me my parents were fucking crazy. (laughs) Imagine how much growth I would have had. You told me, oh, they're good people. They're nice. It's... it's, uh, I remember, and and I'm just going to... We tried to get my mom to go a couple times to you, and she was very adverse to any kind of therapy for a lot of reasons. And as I got older, I always wondered, I wonder what happened to my mom, because I adored her parents. Um, They seemed so loving and wonderful. We never know. But there was a lot of mental illness on her side, you know, her, uh, and, and, and anyway, but I remember... A mom went to you once, once with me, and I think you saw her once alone, and she stopped. And I, and I, I didn't know how to take it. And you know, you never bad rapped anybody, uh, my parents, um, but you were always very honest. And I, and I asked mom, I went, um, why didn't you stay see Nathan? You know, and she said, he hit on me. <laughs> Now, now, Nathan, uh, uh, you know, I don't know your type, definitely, but I found it very hard to believe that you would hit on my mom because it was also the week of Yom Kippur. And <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that on the week of Yom Kippur, Brad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> 
But I, oh, I thought to myself, oh, and even then I knew how crazy that was. As you know, as opposed to her going, eh, yeah, therapy's not for me, or I'm fine, there's nothing wrong with me. And then I had her visit a therapist herself when she really needed help with the depression. And sure enough, that guy hit on her too. It uh, it must have been the Jewish bosoms. I don't know what to say. But uh, it's so funny, the, the mishigas, the craziness we create. <clears throat> what do you do when you have, have you, I don't know if you're comfortable answering this, but when you, when you had that, that female patient, that young girl who you said the parents were psychotic, is there ever a line that you worry about where you have to call social services or something like that? Have you ever been in that position? Well, uh, you're in, in a very touchy position sometimes as a therapist. Uh, I once had a client call me on the phone and say uh, that she was going to commit suicide. She said she was on the edge of a cliff in the Palisades and she was going to drive her car over that cliff and commit suicide. Well, that's a tough spot for a therapist to oh, be in. Uh, you know, you had a client commit suicide and you lose your long-term fee, Brad. Yeah, right. Uh, right. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I love it. Yeah, so what do you do? Well, I talked with her for a while and I told her to, I, I made her promise that she would stay there and I would come and talk to her. So uh, she promised to do that. I Fortunately, I had time. To, uh, to get in my car and go over and meet her in the Palisades. And we talked. I spent probably three and a half hours with her there uh, talking, wow. uh, you know, talking about, uh, you know, the suicide and her feelings, et cetera. And I told her that I thought she should be hospitalized. And, uh, you know, no one, uh, no client, you wants to be told that so sure. she was upset but we talked about it some more and she agreed that it would be the best thing for her to do how and old was so, she uh probably uh oh probably 30 or so okay. something in that age an adult functioning she had a professional job uh, she, she had uh but i'll i'll tell you about uh, who she was married to in a moment so we got to the hospital. I drove her to the hospital, and we talked to the nurse at Woodview Psychiatric Hospital. I was uh, on the part-time staff there, as a matter of fact, so I knew about it, knew the staff there. And uh, she signed all the papers uh, admitting her, and the admissions nurse said, we have to call your husband and uh, have him come down and sign the papers to so we both said, okay. Why is we that? Were, why is that a law? If you want to fifty-one fifty yourself, why do you need your husband's consent? Well, this was a private psychiatric hospital, and I'm going to guess fifty years later now, or maybe more, uh, that uh, they wanted to ensure that their fee would be paid. It was uh, an expensive uh, psychiat private psychiatric hospital. So I think that was really the only, only reason for it at, at the time. Right. Although there are, are really some other reasons for it. You want, you want the spouse's cooperation, et cetera. You sure. want to involve him in the process. But this guy got there, and, and he was a well-known professional. Uh, he thought, as a matter of fact, and probably other people thought too, that he was on the road to getting a Nobel Prize for his discoveries, et cetera. I won't tell you even what field it was in. Okay. But but he got there and the uh, admissions nurse gave him the paper for him to sign. He took the papers in his hand and ripped them up and said, let's get out of here to his wife. I uh, can't believe and, that. And he took her hand and started to pull her out and the nurse grabbed her other hand 
And it was like a momentary tug of war between the two of them. I cannot and, uh, believe this. And of course, he won. Uh, he won the tug of he war, won. and she went. She went home with him. He was the kind of guy, incidentally, who thought that in her depression, he would help her depression by helping her get rid of some of her anger, and bought her a pistol for target practice. This isn't Robert Blake, that. is it, by any chance? <laughs> oh, Brad, it was... Come on, give us a name. I mean, I'm that, sure they're not around. That, I don't think they're around either, but it was a hair-raising experience. That, so, now, and, that. And so what do you do in this instance? She's your client. She's She's, bless your heart, suicidal. Do you chirp up here? Do you Do you get involved? Well, it, it was uh, very. I got got involved and said verbally that I think she should stay, but that's all I could do. Right. Uh, she oh. uh, came out of it okay. Incidentally, in the end, she got a divorce and uh, and uh, did fairly well. Did he win the Nobel Prize? <laughs> he didn't win the Nobel Prize, okay. I might add, but. He Good. gave me a, a something important to think about scientifically. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what it was, but he was a brilliant guy. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a very uh, a fucked up relationship. Was my name brought up at all during this scenario? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he said, "Look, you're not nearly as bad off as Brad Garrett." <laughs> That is just amazing. Oh, Nathan, I, 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 you are my hero. I can't believe how together you are <laughs> at 92. What do you give us? Give, give the nine people watching. What is, <laughs> I, I mean, good genetics. What, what, is, what is the key to, to you, this life you have? I have no life. I can hardly remember my own name. Do you know where you are right now? <laughs> I'm not sure, but I think you're keeping me a prisoner here. <laughs> no, really. I mean, you. <laughs> we say no prisoners. How could that be? Uh, <laughs> what? What? You've always taken care of yourself. Did you ever have any problems? I, I mean, tell me. I have to know this. Did you ever? Did you ever drink too much? Did you ever? Did you ever rub chicken schmaltz on your backside and run through Fairfax? Is there? Is there? Anything you can tell me to give people out there hope that you're not perfect? You know, people have no hope, Brad, because I am perfect. <laughs> no, no one gets through life without problems. Some are big, some are impossible to overcome, yeah. some you live with. I mean, all of us have problems. It's uh, as long as those problems don't cause us too much grief, too much discomfort, uh, and don't cause other people grief or discomfort. We can live with them okay. Uh, It's not like uh, most problems destroy our lives. You know, I I talked to uh, Trevor for two seconds before we started the podcast. He he said... I mean, he has problems. He's right. coping with his problems. But yes. I guess is quite successfully. Yes, he is. But, he, but uh, all of us, uh, yeah. you know. You want to know his biggest stuff. problem, in, in my opinion? And I don't want this to go any further. Let me tell you his biggest problem. People call him Trevor. <laughs> he hates the name. He hates the name. Yeah, he's. A, that's why I wanted him to do this with me, man. He's a warrior, and you're and you're a warrior, Nathan. And this has been a, a, really a dream come true to be able to sit down with uh, my muse. You know, the guy who in my life there were different times I would go. What would Nate do? How would Nate handle this? Oh, I know. He would want me to steal. <laughs> That's what I always came up with. Steel right. and orange. Yeah. Right. It's amazing how that worked on my fear, and it also helped you from ever getting scurvy. <laughs> I 
I still I still take vitamin C though, Brad. <laughs> I I think you just cut out, so I yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. hear that full full throated laughter at uh, my joke. Yeah, tell me tell me uh, uh, what you said. That that because because you cut <laughs> out you cut out for me too after the scurvy line. What did you say? I can't remember, Brad. Remember, I'm 92. <laughs> there are friend. some things we lose. We lose forever. Yeah, yeah. Not you, not you. <laughs> um, just so great to see you. This this meant the world to me. And uh, if you have, leave us with a little advice. If you have a child who is struggling, what can we do? you can realize that that kid is struggling and uh, depending on the age of that child, because, you know, I still consider my kids who are talking about retirement as my kids and they're still struggling with things, but uh, be uh, sympathetic, be empathetic with them and recognize their struggle if you can. And uh, sometimes you don't have to delve into, like, uh, you don't have to uh, destroy their privacy if they don't want to talk to you about it. Just recognize that they are struggling with something and be supportive with them. Be supportive with them in all kinds, all parts of their life. And, uh, you know, most most kids uh, want to do the right thing and are on the right path. You want to you want to help them build their strengths in order to cope with whatever problem it is. And building strength is uh, a slow, a deliberate kind of process. It's like mathematics in a sense. You know, if uh, you don't uh, start teaching someone uh, who's had no uh, math experience trigonometry, you teach them that one and one adds up to two, and two and one makes three, and uh, yeah. and every time they solve a problem, they gain strength. So you don't have to teach them what nine and one equals because they already know how to figure it out. They've gained that kind of strength. And dealing with personal problems are the same thing. You help someone build their inner strength, their capacity to solve problems and then they can do it by themselves they don't need you anymore and hopefully that's what uh, kids do they grow into adults who are able to resolve their problems because they've gained enough strength in life to be able to help themselves that's important yeah sometimes i need to step back more and let them figure it out. I've been a bit of a helicopter parent in my day, and um, I got to learn that they got to uh, they got to figure it out because that's how we grow. And that's what life is. I love you. I miss you. Um, I'm here for you, Nathan. If you just want to talk, um, always here. <laughs> I, I, I want cookies, Brad. I don't want to talk. I will, I will have Izzy send you some more cookies. <laughs> I, promise and i can't wait to have lunch with you that was wonderful when izzy sent me those cookies she's really such a good baker and such a sounds like such a nice person thank you thank you i'm very lucky she's she's nice psychotic but you know a good person um i can't wait to have lunch with you when this is uh when this is over this 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 pandemic we will dine again my friend and i can't wait Excellent, Brad. I love you, Nate. Love you, Brad, and thanks for this session. Uh-uh. Thank you, my friend. Wow. Oh, boy. Um, just an amazing, amazing man. So many ways. Every time I talk to Nate, and it's often, I just it just illuminates how fucked up I still am. Um, he's just, Travis, come in here. Where are you? How, uh, how incredible is this guy yeah. at 92? 
You know, he's so incredible. In fact, I, I want to propose here and now that we, we usurp your authority from this podcast and just call it No Prisoners Podcast with Nathan Horowitz. You know what? You're absolutely right. Uh, I have been replaced happily. <laughs> so look, I just want this to be good. He made it great. So I think you and I are back on the food truck uh, sure. with, the emp- with the empanadas and the gefilte right. fish. And, um, oh, we need more Nathans. Boy, do we need more Nathans. Yes, we do. Um, I I can't tell you how cathartic it is for me to talk about things with him that I haven't talked about since I was um, a very large uh, 10-year-old. He really helped me. My parents did do the best they could. And I think at the end of the day, no matter what we come up with, uh, we all need a certain, in most instances, I do believe there are some uh, parents that can just be downright toxic that we need sure. to have have real space from. Not like always distance. Is, is that what, uh, was your mom like that? Well, yeah, my mom uh, left when I was three and she was a, a biker and she, I think, realized that she was no good and she was going to be no good as a mother anyway. Um, and so she moved to California from Illinois, where I was raised. And so I think in that case, like you're saying, there's some toxic parents. At least my mother loved me enough in her way to remove herself from my my environment so that I could grow up. Uh, in, a, in, in a way that isn't so directly affected by the, the, the toxins that she was going through. Probably wanted so, to cut that cycle. So that's really interesting. And at what point did you, re- because you had to feel abandoned when you're little. A hundred percent created mommy issues. And yes, for sure, right. all the way through. Um, I don't think I'm, I'm over it. I don't think anyone whose mother leaves, especially a, a young man, whose mother leaves, I don't think you you get through that. I think there's always some, like, am I not good enough? Was I not lovable? All of those yep, questions of that course. you ask yourself, for sure. Of course. And, and at what point, uh, obviously, you must have met up with her down the line. Did she share with you that she left to give you a better life? Or did you come up no. with that on your own? No, I, I, I just came up with it on my own. And she was always sort of there. You know, she would send gifts, Christmas and birthdays, and then there was always this allure of California, moved to California. And, and so when I was 15, I moved out here, but the, the lifestyle I was living, a very, very normal, small Midwestern town with one stoplight. My dad was a cop, so everyone knew everyone to come out here. My mom's lifestyle was, you know, she was a biker selling Coke. And, and so... Um, I didn't end up staying very long with her, but I, I didn't want to go back. So um, over the years, we had a very strained relationship. I, I would say the best relationship we had was the last two years of her life. She passed away four years ago. Friday was the anniversary of her passing. I saw that on your Instagram and uh, my my love and goes out to you. You seem to have such an unconditional love and an acceptance of her. Did you have to work through that together? Did you do it on your own? Were you able to talk about all this? We were very, very candid with one another. Uh, She shared everything. In fact, she was, when she left this earth, she was, uh, I I lost the, the one person that I could truly tell everything to. And I say that knowing that I've been with my wife for 26 years. And so there really isn't, there aren't any secrets there, but with my mom, we literally shared everything, but working through it is still a process. Even, even today, I think for the most part, anyone that's dealing with something like that abandonment or issues with your own parents, you need to recognize first that you don't want to pass that on to your children. I've got wonderful children and and so separating myself from my mom and that and my dad and all that area, that was the number one thing that I did so that I could change my behaviors. But in addressing it with her, it was uh, a lot of talking, a lot of me forgiving her because I had to realize when I became an adult, I was able to realize that 
she did the best that she knew how to do. Right. And that's really and that, what it comes down to. And that's, that's a hard thing, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, to, to accept that, especially when you're left with a lot of baggage and, you know, there was something to be said about real unconditional forgiveness. Um, I think that's the only way to move on. And with that forgiveness, you sometimes have to have, uh, a new normal, uh, right. way of new boundaries, new it's scary of a healthy way of, yeah, of self-care has to come in to that forgiveness. I forgive you for this, but you also need to have a boundary where that hurt cannot keep, you yeah. know, perpetuating or, or, or whatever. Yeah, 100%. But that's, that's really cool, man. That's really cool. Nathan is just, uh, I, I, I got to tell you, this is so, um, God, just so great. You're okay. He referred to you as Trevor because he called me Greg a couple times. Well, yeah. I, so I went ahead and created the, the banner here just for future, <laughs> just so everyone knows it's, it's Travis, not Trevor, but, right. but I, but I'm okay. If, if he, I don't care what this man right here wants to call me. Of he course. can call me Trevor. He can call me Travass. I, I don't yeah. care. Of, of yeah. course. And what's, you know, I mean, uh, people are going to see this and they're going to go, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'd like to be like him at 60. Forget 92. Yeah. Yeah. Forget 92. And it was amazing because he's a tall guy. He's about six, six, one, six, two ish. And when I met him, he was driving an original Mini Cooper. Not like the ones one of the tiny, tiny ones. A tiny Mini Cooper. Oh, it was yellow. It was yellow, and I figured, oh, this is great. The circus is here. Yeah, because that's all I heard in my head anyway was circus music at the time. But uh, I'm glad we could we could share this uh, a time. What a great thing. guy, yeah. Travis. I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate everyone out there that's watching. Uh, take care of yourself. Care and um, shoot for mental wellness. We all got shit going on, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna decide different ways we can numb it and hide it. And uh, if that's what you decide, that's okay too. No judging. But uh, if you want to be free and uh, have no prisoners, and just tell people where you're at, and you can do so in a in a in a right, healthy state of mind, and be good to yourself and those around you, uh, then you're on to something. You're on to a better life, and uh, we'll see you again. Take care. Thanks. While this podcast may discuss medical issues and at times answer or discuss listeners' questions, this podcast is not offering any individual medical advice nor meant to substitute for individualized professional medical treatment or advice. So please remember that all content is for informational purposes only. And please consult with your own healthcare provider for your own issues and diagnosis. If you think you may have a medical emergency, do the right thing and call your doctor or go to a local emergency room or call 911 immediately. Never delay seeking individualized help for a problem based on something discussed here. Take care of yourself. You're worth it.